All right, so <laughs> obviously we all know that it's Palm Sunday and kids get wiggles. So I wanted to kind of wake our brains up with a little bit of celebrating together, bringing the kids into worship with the scripture reading. Um, so with that, we're going to head into our scripture reading today of Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey and its colt tied there. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding in on a donkey, and on a colt, and on the foal of a colt. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on, the, on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them to those, or said to those that followed, sorry, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest of heavens. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city stirred and said, who is this? The crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. <clears throat> Let's pray. Jesus is coming from the mountainside, from the seaside, from the homes of the rich and the company of the poor, from the bedside of those who are sick. Jesus is coming along dusty roads with ragged bands of travelers. Jesus comes to Jerusalem. He comes to worship. Will we greet him with our hosannas? Children of God rejoice, sing out in celebration, God's people. Your king is coming to you, humble, riding on a donkey and on a donkey's foal. Hosanna in the highest, and blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Glory to God, Hosanna. Amen. All right, so we're going to take a deeper look into more than just a bunch of people screaming Hosanna and running to the center aisle of a church. Um, but we're going to look into why did the, the Israelites do this? What was the big deal of this? Obviously, hindsight 2020, we know why, but we're going to look at it again anyway. Um, <laughs> so it starts on the Mount of Olives near Bethpage with um, Jesus overlooking the city. And, and while he's standing there, we have to imagine that he is mourning. He is mourning that the world does not understand what he's there for, and he's mourning for the sin and the death and destruction that has taken over the world. Um, this also is where Jesus' journey to the cross begins. And this journey is not easy, um, but it's exciting because he knows what's coming or going to happen. So as he's writing in, there's this excitement. Obviously, we just felt it. Hosanna, glory, Jesus is coming. So there's an excitement because the Israelites know that Jesus is about to do something. This is the place where the servant king begins his victory march. Uh, once there, Jesus sends two disciples saying, go to the village ahead of you and you'll find a donkey there with her colt and bring it to me. And if anybody asks... Um, say the Lord needs it. Uh, here, Matthew does something different. It's not just that he rides it on a donkey, but he says he finds a donkey and its colt there. And that is to fulfill 
the prophecy in Zechariah where it says, um, a gentle, or the king comes to you gentle, riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the prophecy has the two, so Matthew includes that Jesus brings in the two. Um, the disciples went and did what Jesus said. They found the donkey and said the Lord needs it, and the owner gave it to them. Um, now, counter to this, he's riding it on a donkey, which is an everyday tool, but that's not the way that kings rode in, right? So when I think of, like, kings, I imagine them on these big, robust horses that, like, I could walk underneath, and, and they're beautiful, majestic creatures, and that's what the kings rode in on. But that's not what this king rides in on. Um, here's the king who does not wield his power. Instead, um, he rides in the, in, on an ordinary work donkey, using an animal to bring him into the final battle. Um, we, we think of this as a victory lap for Jesus, but I think of it as a battle cry. Because it's, it's not just that Jesus is like, woohoo, Jesus is here. It's like, no, Jesus is coming, and things are about to get real. It's not a battle cry of, um, that brings violence or death or destruction that the Jews were anticipating because they were anticipating a rise of power, but rather a battle cry against Satan to say, you're done being in charge here. Jesus was traveling towards Jerusalem, and the news began to spread that he was coming. People began to prepare for his battle by putting their cloaks on the ground. For many, this might be the only cloak or coat that they had. So laying down their coat was a way of demonstrating to, to the Romans and to other Jews, this is my Jesus. This is my king. This is who I worship. So laying it down, that was a pretty big deal because it was going to probably get ruined. This is not the first time that we see this. It's actually a tradition that cl goes clear back to Second Kings, where um, one of the kings, he came in, and as he was coming in, that's what they did. They laid down their coats as a sign of loyalty because this king was overthrowing the other oppressors of the Jewish people. And so every time a king rode in for the Jews, that was a sign of saying, I'm laying, this is my king who's setting me free from the oppressors of this world. And so that was what the Jews were doing. This is my king. I laid down my coat for him. Other people, they cut branches from trees and they spread them on the road. This is another tradition that dates back to um, 200 years before Jesus, when a king who had overthrown a Jewish oppressor came riding in to town and people to celebrate and praise this king for their freedom from their oppressors grabbed palm branches and they waved it. So from that time on, when a king won, they waved their palm branches in celebration, saying, victory to our king, Hosanna to our king. Um, that was a sign of worship. For, for the Jews with Jesus, it was an acknowledgement that Jesus was the one that was going to free them from their oppressors and that the reign of the Romans and all of their other oppressors were over. They were praising the leader that they believed was going to bring Jews into power and leadership. The crowds that went ahead of them and f those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Hosanna! Or blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! 
these aren't just shouts of songs of praise. These are victory cries. These are battle cries. They're saying to the Romans, hey, my ruler, he's coming. Your time is over, right? This was their moment to finally shine because Jesus was going to be their redeemer and they weren't going to have to be subjected to the rest of the world anymore. So what they were saying is our king has come to bring us to the top and we're going to stand and we're going to fight with him. Victory is ours and the rest of you can just stand back and let us be in charge. All of this left some people skeptical, some people scared, and some people curious. Who is this guy? Who is this guy that is coming in on a donkey that all of these lowly Jews that are, are poor and, and don't really have much, they're following him and they're saying, I'm going to put my coats down and I'm going to wave these palm branches out of excitement for this guy? Who is this? Um, which the answer was, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is them acknowledging. So not only have they just been worshiping their king, but they're acknowledging that this is the prophet of God. This is the man who has the words and has the life that is going to free us from the life of oppression that we're in. So the triumphant entry for the Jews and for Jesus were two different kinds of entry. For the Jews, it was Jesus taking over their oppressive rulers, currently Rome. For Jesus, um, wait, uh, there's more. Everything that the crowd did was to prepare for the king to bring them to a rise of power. It's about Jesus giving the Jews everything that they want. For Jesus, the triumphant entry was a battle cry against Satan and a call to worship God. Everything Jesus did was to show the world that he is a king who serves from the bottom, a king who isn't there to fulfill selfish desires, but a king who is there to save the world from death and from sin. The Jews want freedom from oppression of the world. Jesus brings freedom that stops us from living a life filled or living a life of sin and gives us a life of full freedom and worship of God. The Jews want power and control. Jesus brings humility and surrender. The Jews want the good life now. Jesus brings new life now and forever. The Jews want a kingdom that finally brings them honor. Jesus brings a kingdom unlike any other that brings them servanthood. Jesus' rule is not of dominance, of power, of oppression, of pride, of violence. It's not a rule of subjugation or force. It's not a rule or a leadership that says, look at me. It's a rule of, of surrender. I want you guys to think of, of it this way. Okay, we're getting ready to enter another election cycle, right? What's going to happen? You're going to see people posting yard signs, vote for this candidate. And you're going to start seeing advertisements flash on your TV screen that say, vote for my candidate. They're the best candidate. They're going to do the best thing that they can for this country, right? You're going to hear people starting to get into debates about why their candidate is the candidate that they need. Even then, you're going to, it's going to go beyond debate. 
There was one election, I'm not going to tell you which one it was, but this is how dirty it gets, okay? There was one election where I literally had friends of mine equating the president that had just won to an animal. I was livid. But that's what happens with political statements, and that's what the Jews were wanting. That's what they were doing. They were rallying, saying, our candidate is the best candidate. That's not what Jesus was all about. This is what the way that the Jews, or this was the aim of the Jews. It also seems that way to to be the way that we want Jesus to triumph into the world. We expect Jesus to come in with mighty power, right? We wear clothes that show our loyalty to Jesus. I'm not making fun of Jesus shirts. I'm just saying that in some ways it can be a political sign. I'm not saying it's wrong. Don't hear that. I think some of them are actually really cool, right? But we wear shirts that wear our loyalty. We, we sing or we pray these long, elegant, eloquent prayers, or we pray really short ones. Um, we have our arms in praise shouting to the world that our God will overcome so that we might finally win. We shout that Jesus is coming and that we will gain victory and power over the world. But that's not the kind of king that Jesus is. Again, I don't want you to hear me say that anything that I just described was wrong. But often, we do that to elevate ourselves. We do that so that we might be seen as the best and as the top. And that's not the way that Jesus is. Jesus brings us an upside-down kind of rule. A rule that leads us from the bottom instead of the top. The kingdom that Jesus brings is one that empowers people to break break free from the bonds of sin and the bonds of destruction that are in their own lives. It's the rule that empowers those at the bottom of society to be seen and to be valued and to be elevated so that they might live a full life too. It's a kind of rule that everyone matters from the lowest of the low to the most rich and the powerful. It's a rule of living a surrendered life in respect and in obedience to God. It's a rule where worshiping God is freeing because Satan cannot stop it. It's a freedom to be fully vulnerable with God, the same person that created them. So I want you to hear that all of the stuff I said before wasn't bad, but all of it also is elevated when we do it from a position of surrender instead of a position of power. The life in this kingdom under this rule is a kind of a freeing life. And those that are part of it are are everyday ordinary people. Most of us in this room would say, I'm just another person. I'm not the best person. I'm not the top of the world. Right? Jesus comes for the everyday, ordinary people. And everyday, ordinary people live lives in surrender and in loyalty to God who are freed from themselves. Jesus is a king who rides in on an ordinary work animal, right? I want to stress that. It's it's ordinary. It's plain. It's everyday. He enters into our daily lives humbly and gently and unexpectedly 
just like he did when he rode in on that donkey. He shows up in the ordinary ways of life. There was a monk who once said that, or his job in the monastery was washing dishes. Not, I don't know most people that enjoy washing dishes. He enjoyed washing dishes because in the washing of the dishes, he met God. In everybody else's filth and grime, he met God because he was intentional about taking this ordinary task and praising God through it and praying to God through it. Everything we do can be an act of worship to God. Driving in our car, riding the bus, everything we do is an act, there can be an act of worship to God. So instead of showing power through force and pride and, hey, look at me, I'm the best. I love Jesus, so I should be the greatest. Instead, we say, I love Jesus. And so I'm going to worship God through everything that I do. I'm going to let my life be a semblance of God. We don't need to lay down our cloaks with that, right? So the, the Jews, they lay down their coats to prepare as a sign of loyalty. We don't need to lay down our clothes as a sign of loyalty. Instead, we lay down our lives as a sign of loyalty. We say, God, I am with you so much because you are my king. You are my savior. I, f I praise you and I support you. I'm going to lay my life down to you. And how do we do that? It's not just meeting on, together on a Sunday morning. We worship God by laying down our lives for other people. We, we put the value of others over the desires of our own heart. We put... We, we elevate people so that they too might know the love that God has for them. So when we lay down our lives for Christ, we're laying we do it by laying down our lives for others so that others might come to know the love that God has for them. In a society that says, or that puts ourselves first, we show loyalty to God by putting ourselves second so that others might come to know God. Instead of our coats, we lay down our lives. And likewise, we don't need fancy palm branches. To, we don't got to go cut tree limbs off and raise them in the air to say the victory is ours. We're not trying to stir up a rebellion, guys. What we are trying to do is say, God, I am going to worship you with who I am and with what I have. So instead of raising palm branches and shouting victory battles at the top of our lungs, we raise our hands and worship. We use our voices to sing Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. It's not about saying, I'm going to win this fight, but it's saying, God, you're going to do what you can do, and I'm going to praise you for what you've done. We worship through kneeling getting down and praying and saying, God, I surrender all I have to you. God, this thing really is just horrible right now, and I need you to be, the, be there. I tell the kids um, that come to the daycare that prayer is that conversation with God. So everything that you want to tell your best friend, tell God too. He already knows it, but tell God too. You got a funny story? God wants to laugh with you. You're sad? 
God wants to cry with you. You're angry. God wants to hear what you have to say about that. And that God's going to reveal himself back to you through that. Maybe not in ways that we expect, but it will happen. And then finally, to hear God, we read our scripture. We read our Bibles to hear what it is that God wants us to say. And when we read it, we can hear things differently from every time we read through it. Because the voice of God isn't going to say the exact same thing every time. He's going to reveal things to you as you need to know them. So what do we do? We kneel in prayer. We read scripture. We raise our hands in surrender. And we lift our voices in praise. The battle cry of Jesus was not one to scare the world into believing that the Jews were going to overtake the world and rise to power. The battle cry of Jesus was a humble entry into Jerusalem, a way of telling Satan, game on, the war is coming, and you've already lost. It was Jesus saying, I'm going to conquer death and sin. And Satan, you will no longer reign victorious over this world because I am coming to seek and save the lost. Those words still ring true for us today. Jesus' battle cry is still the same for us today. The world expects flashy, extraordinary, prideful, and self-elevation so that they can have freedom for themselves. Hear that? Freedom for themselves. Jesus offers quiet, ordinary, humble, and selfless acts of love to provide freedom from themselves. Freedom from the sins that hold people captive. Freedom from the, the thoughts of um, unworthiness that might come when we're caught in our own head. Freedom from whatever it is that is stopping us from freely worshiping God. Jesus comes to free us from that. He wants us to live a life of praise and worship to him. He wants us to worship by serving our communities. He wants us to worship through communion and fellowship with other believers. In this final week of Lent, our practice is worship and communion. I'm pretty sure you guys already gathered the worship part. But uh, our practice is worship and communion. As we, We're going to head into communion here in a little bit. And as we head into it, we prepare ourselves to go out into the world ready to worship God in the ordinary, everyday things of life. May we worship God as we serve others, laying down our lives so that they might know the love of God. May we worship God at the core of who we are. May we, we use, or do that as we raise our hands in, in worship to him, as we raise our voices in worship to him. May we do that as we're washing dishes, as we're picking up our, our dog's leftovers in the backyard. May we worship God through all that we do. Today as we gather, we worship God with our hearts and hands raised in surrender to our creator, who brings us freedom from the things that hinder us from being fully ourselves before God. May we also gather to worship with our community through communion. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, be the king and the ruler of our hearts, our mind, our life, and our home. May our lives reflect meekness and humility so that you can come to bring your kingdom of God through us. Give us strength so that we will not only be with you in your glory, but in your service to every person, in your acceptance of rejection, through hatred, shame, suffering of the innocent, 
God, give us strength so that we can follow you to the cross, to the tomb, and from the tomb into resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. As we enter into this time of communion, um, Pastor Tabitha had been sharing with us how Jesus was a different kind of king, and I want that, that mindset to carry with you as we enter into this, this moment of communion. Don't just think about this as uh, a religious uh, practice. Uh, in the days of Jesus, in the ancient times, to say that this is bread from the king meant that the king provided for you, for his people. And so this, this bread, this little wafer, this little cube of bread that we're going to receive um, represents the king's gift, his grace, his provision for you. And in, in some images we have the king's, these fancy banquets where nobility comes, the most important the, the most powerful, maybe leaders of other nations, are brought in and wined and dined to be, show how impressed you are. But Jesus, this different kind of king, uses these resources from heaven to feed us. And it is a humble table, and it's a humble table by design. It's to remind us of the type of king that Jesus is. That he's the king that provides the bread that we need for today. And then he also provides this cup that he says represents his blood. Again, what kind of king bleeds for his people? He, he says that this is a blood of a covenant. It's a promise. It's a contract. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, an arrangement, an agreement. But he seals it with his own blood. He's the one that bears the price. He's the one that says this promise, this covenant won't be broken. What kind of king does that? What kind of king bleeds for his people? Jesus is a different kind of king. And so as we approach communion today, I want us to be reminded um, of, of the gift of salvation, the gift of God's provision. But ultimately, today, let's focus on the type of king that Jesus is and what it means to follow that kind of king because this, this communion supper was something that Jesus instituted himself. Right? He started this. He was gathered around a table with his followers and said that this represents his life, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, and the coming of the king once again. The supper, this Lord's Supper, is a means of grace. It's a gift in which Christ is present with us. It's to be received in reverent appreciation, what our manual says. Reverent appreciation, it means it's to be received in awe and wonder that it is the king of all kings that is providing this meal to us. And then our response is gratitude. So those who are repentant, those who look to forsake their sins, those who want to turn their back on death and sin and destruction are invited to come and participate in this meal, we come to the table that we may be renewed in life and that we may be made one in the spirit. And so it's with the church we confess our faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. 
And so we pray, Holy God, we gather at this your table in the name of your Son, Jesus, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He ate with sinners. And he established the new covenant for forgiveness of sins. We live in the hope of his coming again. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took this bread and he gave thanks. He broke the bread, he gave it to his disciples. And King Jesus said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the meal was over, Jesus took the cup, he gave thanks, he gave it to his disciples, and then King Jesus said, drink from it. This is my blood of the covenant. It's poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, so do this in remembrance of me. And so we gather as the body of Christ. Father, we, we gather in the name of Jesus to offer you praise and thanksgiving, but as Pastor Tabitha highlighted, the way that we do that is to offer ourselves. So we pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts, this bread and this juice. Make them by the power of your Holy Spirit to be for us the body and the blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Father, by your Spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all of the world until King Jesus comes in final victory. And it's in your name we pray, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. And now as Jesus, King Jesus, taught his followers to pray, I want to invite you to join me in saying the Lord's Prayer together. It'll be on the screen, I believe. Uh, let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.